everyone, and welcome back to Art and Labor. Um, we are a podcast dedicated to the ongoing struggle to survive as an art and or cultural worker. Um, my name is OK Fox, and I'm with my longtime friend. Um, this has been a long time coming. Uh, Charlie Markabetter. Hi, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I'm a huge fan of the um, work you put out on DeviantArt. Just <laughs> really love it. So it's an honor to be here. I feel like such a um, faker when it comes to this stuff because I um, I never made a DeviantArt when I was a kid. Um, it, uh, I, I'm I'm not very good at drawing. Um, when I was a kid, I tried to draw, but I had a photo bucket. And I, would, and I I didn't have a scanner and my school didn't have a scanner and the, I worked at the library and the library didn't have a scanner. And uh, I would just take photos of my drawings and put them on my photo bucket. And you know what my photo bucket's username was? <laughs> Imagine I'm like, of course I know. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Tell me. It was Mr. Olive. Whoa. Uh, feels significant. <laughs> doesn't it yeah. i don't know why but i feel like for some weird reason <laughs> that i can't articulate clockable that, a little bit um yeah but so I, you I, were I, like hi my name is dead name i will be transgender in 15 years fox yeah the, i mean this was like even earlier than that this was um i don't know this is like 2004 or something what was so the early. what was the photo bucket world like? Um, so, because uh, I was scared of joining online communities, I was scared of getting um, predatored, because when I was a really little kid, I got predatored. Whoa! Um, not like uh, any, not like in physical world, but but by a wolf. But the in... the apex of the predator <laughs> yes, kingdom. Yeah, it was by a wolf. <laughs> it was uh, it was like those early AOL chat rooms and uh, me and my elementary school friends would uh, do cyber sex and um, it wrecked my uh, brain and I was like I what am I doing I can't this is fucked up I shouldn't be doing this <laughs> and and then okay contacted Miranda July and Miranda July was like hold Stole up my shit I have this made a I have this crazy poop joke out of emojis, text emojis that I've really been meaning to do something with. And I, I think you might have solved that one for me. Um, um, my life with Miranda July for real. <laughs> um, sorry, I don't know how we're, I, I mean, we smoked weed. This is going to be a weird one, but um, I'm just excited that you're on the podcast finally. I mean, last time... We did a recorded discussion. I think it was for Death Panel, right? This was like years ago. <laughs> and now, you know, you're the big mod on campus over there. <laughs> I love being a, a, a Discord mod. Uh, I'm, I, I miss my Discord being more active. We, we're, we're supportive. Like we're doing um, an AMV festival. Um, and... Uh, that's like the uh, the anime music video, oh, the anime music video. Wow, we're all making that again, and you know we do want to talk about fandom 
um, today. So all of this is relevant, just so everybody knows. <laughs> uh, we're just already off to the races when it comes to online fandom. Well, stuff. I have, can I ask you a question? <laughs> I want to ask you. I have all this shit. Can I yeah. ask one first? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, uh, when did you first become a fan of Sonic the Hedgehog and why? Okay. Yeah, so I wanted to get into the fandom stuff with a personal connection for anyone who isn't familiar. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll let Okay talk about it because it's too intimate. I wouldn't. I would... Well, listeners of the show know that I do a Sonic the Hedgehog themed birthday party every year, and I've done it for like six years, and it just keeps growing, and it's out of my control. And um, <laughs> yeah, it it to me, it's just it was just really really formative. Um, I wasn't. I I feel like again, I'm a fake. So I'm a fake. I'm not. A, I'm not the. I'm not a real one, because I didn't have any Sega consoles growing up. But I did have Nintendo consoles. So I got into Sonic when I had a GameCube. Me and my three brothers, we had this piggy bank that was shaped like a parking meter, and we would put money into it um, to buy video game systems. And the first one we bought was an N64. And then we got better at making money. We used to, um, my mom taught us how to forage. Wow. We would sell ramps <clears throat> to the um, health food store. Now that is some upstate shit. That is some upstate shit. <laughs> sell Morel mushrooms. And, uh... and 15 years <laughs> later, legions of tender queers would go upstate and do the exact same thing. And gentrify my family out of there and destroy the rental market. <laughs> yeah, But in sure. such a tender way. <laughs> They're such tender gentrifiers. Of... I mean, we were part of it too. Like, my family was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, we're like the in-betweeners or something. Where are we supposed to go? <laughs> but yeah, then we bought a, a, a GameCube and um, the, the uh, Sexual Awakening game was Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, which introduces Rouge the Bat, who is a bat with titties, and she's really hot. <laughs> and she has like, you know, wings. And um, my good friend, uh, anime Courtney Stodden, um, who has been doing the Sonic party with me since the beginning, um, does an amazing Rouge the Bat uh, drag routine that, and, and they they do a different one every year and it's always just a, amazing um and so i guess it was it was um getting up so so obsessed with that game and playing it all the time and my early aim screen name was knuckles 228 my birthday was it um <laughs> what was it about sonic or was it just the fact that he was blue <laughs> Like the fact that he could run really fast. Like these are qualities I myself have. So I'm. You understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the I'm just curious. What about? Okay. Or what, was it about the gameplay that really drew you? The game is really fun. It's like a 3D environment, um, and it was kind of like like the first Sonic Adventure, is is like more rudimentary 3D. Like it, it's it also has this sort of environment, but the what make Sonic Adventure two just is like just so much better than they like they made it. Like they tweaked Adventure One and like made it like way better, and then uh, it's its own game. But like not not that it's like a remake; it's actually its own game, but it's just way better. And it has this thing called the Chow Garden, 
and chows are these little baby creatures that you collect little animals um, to give to the chow to take on the characteristics of the animal. You'd love it. <laughs> wow, this is really a, a Dada masterpiece. Um, I, I'm like, I guess I'm like with, with any kind of like relationship to. Um, show you what chows look like. Parasocial fan relationship. I'm like, so do you feel like when you were a kid, did you feel like <laughs> you you were Sonic or you were like, oh, I want to have sex with Sonic or you were just like, uh -huh. I admire him as a person. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, honestly, I I, you're you're forgetting that I was a goth. When oh. I was um, especially a young teen. I was a goth. So I was into Shadow the Hedgehog. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And Shadow the Hedgehog is like, see, see the chows here. So there's an angel chow, a neutral chow, and a devil chow. Okay, for um, people who can't see what OK's showing me, they look like um, different um, cartoon people that are made of droplets of water. They're so cute, and like um, you, you play all the, you, you play as either the hero path or the dark path, and it's not the villain path. It's called dark, and. Um, and all of the characters, like Eggman is on the dark. Eggman is Sonic's, you know, number one enemy. And, but even, but it's ambiguous. All the morals are ambiguous. And um, Shadow is like an artificial Sonic that was created to um, be like Sonic. Um, and they're fighting about who's the superior being, Sonic or Shadow. Who, who wins? It depends on if you play the hero path or the dark path. Got it. And um, but really, there's forces beyond that. They need to unite to fight. Wow. <laughs> it uh, sounds like trans people and cis people. A oh my bit. god! I was gonna say, um, <laughs> lol. <laughs> um, no, we're all all the evil path and the dark path. But they all raise chows. And and so if so you, they all practice animal cruelty. It's not droplet cruelty. Cru <laughs> droplet cruelty. No, it is cruelty because they make them play sports. <laughs> but uh, the depending on which characters like raise them, if you raise them equally with hero and dark, they they turn they're just neutral. But if you raise them with all hero or all dark, they they take on angel or devil characteristics. Um, I'm so good at being on a po podcast because I'm about to make a segue. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. Dude, this takes the show. I can't really deal with it lately. No, you're doing amazing. <laughs> um, I just, uh, would you say that the hero path and the dark path could be um, an analog for uh, NFTs and the fan art aesthetics that they cannibalized? Yeah, I, I would say that. I would say that. So this is something that we've, we've been coming to... to um talk a bunch in via text and you know um listeners of the show have heard um our recent saga about um tcaf toronto toronto comics and graphics festival um where you know this was like this this uh festival that a lot of people in indie comics community really loved because you know um 
like people always did well there and it was run well and like the like there was a, a section that was just for the local artists and that was that part was like free to table and like you know was constantly being shifted out for new local people and um you know covid uh shock doctrine stuff happened and uh they cut like the the board of the festival like cut out the local artists and um so we knew shit was going downhill like pretty early um but then they decided to invite an nft artist as a featured guest so this is like the type of guest who gets flown to toronto and featured on panels and like showcased especially this is someone who had no connection to like the comics world at all um and we've been covering that on the on the show a bit the like fallout of um uh pink cat and um a group that me and a, a bunch of other people are in um sarah who also does a show is in it like you know uh we we made this group years ago called festival workers association and we were agitating like really hard about like keeping nfts out of our comics spaces um and uh you know eventually they like dis they they retracted the invitation but like the people who made those decisions are all still in leadership of the festival and i feel like a lot of the nft stuff is biding its time to you know take over more and more avenues of um cultural production um so i saw it as like a you know the hero the hero path is we love this festival everyone does well at this festival they're they're pretty ethical about like switching everybody out every year and for new people like you're not supposed to repeat two years in a row and like i don't know like <laughs> and it, it it was at the library so it's like everybody could come it was free like to attend and like you know, festival workers were for the abolishment of table fees at all, but like it was reasonable for how for how well people do, and like I don't know. Um, so you have this path where you can like keep improving that, find a way to make it totally free, find a way to you know whatever, like make leadership more ethical, <laughs> or you have the dark path where you're like, oh, well, we could scale this by getting into this marketplace and this marketplace and blah blah blah, and it's like. Okay, like really, literally, we're we're indie comics. We're like we're people who like physically print zines ourselves, um, or like through very small press, and distri do distributing and like PR for it like entirely ourselves, like for the most part. And we've resisted like stuff like Amazon moving in on like um, printing and um kickstarter uh you know sponsoring things and trying to be the new model for um how to how to crowdfund like you know there's all these like big corporations who have been trying to move in on indie comics for a long time <clears throat> uh and so that now so it just it feels like 
after meeting all this resistance um nfts are like this 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 one where they're really trying to go all in on it <laughs> uh so it makes sense that they would find some fucking sap on the board of this um sizable festival to try to like muscle in on that territory <laughs> yeah i mean it's really interesting <laughs> that um shadow and sonic are the same hedgehog <laughs> because in a similar Please. way um um you know we were i was looking at this um um you know okay for people who haven't been to OK's apartment in Glendale, <laughs> OK has a really amazing um, collection of um, fan art. And um, we were looking at some of their Sonic fan art, and they said, it almost looks yeah. like an NFT, doesn't it? And <laughs> that's when it hit me that how much, I mean, I feel like, um, I mean, I know we're both, um, Kito style fans so I can bring up the um, rich image and poor image but um, yes. basically um, her sort of concept of that is the rich image is um, like high quality visually so like something you might see on like a 4D cinema or a, a video art in like an art gallery yes um, so it's defined by like high visual quality and and low spread so it's seen by not that many people versus like a meme which like looks like it was like microwaved but like lots of people are gonna see it on instagram or something and that's sort of like a poor image um obviously i think like um footnote yes. the i'd say that like the um evolution of like the digital content economy has sort of like shifted those a little but i guess um like my main point would just be that um so much basically i think okay's right um so many nfts visually look uh, look kind of like um fan art but while um fan art is treated as a poor image um uh nfts are treated as like a rich image and that's just like literal in terms of like one is about um property and profit and so it's literally a rich image because it is valued more yeah um and is about value extraction and um circulation um yeah and disrupting these um communities too like you know it's not, you know deviant art has fought the deviant art community has fought back against the um uh, rulers of, I'm like, I can't think of a better word, rulers of the website making the decision on behalf of the users of the website um, to uh, force an NFT uh, sales and um, like use, utilize, like, like utilize a lot of like DeviantArt um, like images in uh, AI training, like without users consent and um like they've pushed back and and try and and left in droves you know for you know say like further affinity who has adopted a policy of we're not going to allow nfts into our website um yeah i mean it would be i'd be really curious to hear 
Um, I mean, first of all, that's really interesting context. I had no idea. Um, I would love a behind the scenes like reality TV show, but it's just about like the people who run Deviant Art. <laughs> like, would, would be totally a, watch that. So streamable. Um, it would be so sick. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious. Sort of, you know, it's interesting to think about sort of why um, something on Deviant Art would be considered a poor image, and mm. you know, I think sort of the. Um, approach people tend to take with that as a sort of like aesthetic one of like oh it's drawn by amateurs oh it looks kind of shitty um but I feel like also the reason for that is just it's a um it's a reflection of (laughs) value where they're like oh this one is valued by the market therefore it is good Mm -hmm. this one is not valued by the market and maybe the image doesn't even or the person who makes it doesn't even want that but because it's not valued by the market, they're like, it's bad. Right. Like, um, it, it's, I don't know. With, with DeviantArt, it's, um, it's, it's just like, uh, it was the one, it was the only one when we were kids. So Should we I, explain what that is for people who maybe don't know what DeviantArt, I'm like, yeah. oh, well, trying to describe DeviantArt to it like an alien so or something. It was just a, it was a platform to, um, put like your drawings up and and yeah sorry I was like opening the the show kind of about this because I never had one because I I like I was like oh my art sucks I can't um like DeviantArt to me was like too good <laughs> I love that I love that I'm just describing it as like how it's like amateurism and okay it's like no 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 those are the professionals I like mean, those are the people who could draw like they're horny Pikmin so good <laughs> seriously dude ser- I was drawing Aishil 21 Dojinsi in my sketchbook um, and I was like it's nothing like the Dojinsi that I buy from the anime convention that's like the real shit and there was like good artists on DeviantArt and then there was like you know there's a lot of like uh, MS Paint furry art and and I love that stuff too but yeah it's it, that is like the, the cringier cringier quote-unquote side of it that people associate with DeviantArt but like to me as somebody who I was like I'm going to be an artist I'm going to go to art school um it matters to me how my work is being viewed and that the fact that I can't get access to a goddamn scanner (laughs) and like regularly keep it updated I was just like I'm just not gonna do it I'll I'll show you know I'll I'll show my shitty photographs to my friends um with my link to my photo bucket but I didn't feel ready to like it, to me also everybody seemed older on the internet of course everybody was my age or like pretending to be my age but like yeah everyone was like <laughs> on the internet was a child pretending to be an adult just like now <laughs> just like now. no but you're right it's I mean it's in, it's interesting because I don't know when deviant art was like invented as a platform but I feel like what it became was sort of like basically like the number one fan art online website um and you know me and okay we're talking about earlier um in the context of this a really amazing um piece by joanna russ that that okay sent me about um basically we were talking about how this is sort Mm -hmm. of like pre-tipping point era um it's not like there was trans cultural production or even trans 
people or artists in sort of like mainstream at all, especially when we were, you know, like preteens, let alone when we were like, right. you know, doing things like going on dates or something. And so, but obviously trans people like existed. So it's like, what were they doing? And one answer is like, well, they were on fucking DeviantArt. They were on DeviantArt, um, 100%. Making like um, really like horny, like Mewtwo um, mm-hmm. manga. Yeah. And so it is, um, I, th- I never also, I also never made art on deviant art, but I was always really from like a very early age was like fascinated by the aesthetics of it. Um, and I think, you know, I think I'm like, why, you know, who, who knows the answer is honestly infinite, but I feel like <laughs> one thing that definitely seems to be true is like, it was sort of a place for transcultural production before it was called before there was like a name for it being that um or even before i guess it was egg culture is maybe (laughs) and yeah like egg egg (laughs) aesthetics i mean obviously maybe i'm sure so many of the people on there knew they were trans but i think also that was a a thing that like people probably wouldn't something that I, i bond with my um comics friends over a lot is um the the terminal the the being online as a as a young girl and being like why can't girls be super saiyans and like drawing girl super saiyans and trying to like that like um i you know uh 18 i'm not sure what they're what they're going by right now they're they're part of this group called metro polarity in philadelphia and they put together this zine of um you know being a teen really into dragon ball z with along with like merit copas and um some other people we all put in pieces kind of about that and tried to like think about that kind of as a prompt well well i mean it's like that's exactly like that is why that is what trans people were doing and the reason for that is because what other um i mean other than like second life or sort of like avatar games or like video game characters like there weren't that many opportunities for people to digitally modify their their appearances so Mm -hmm. you know it's like you would a lot of fan art would be is like people being like oh I want to be gay I want to be trans I want to be whatever and I can't do that but draw my OC yeah draw my OC in your style exactly exactly so it's so it's um and you know it's uh yeah (laughs) it's and so it's it's interesting no I mean it's sad too like what we were talking about you know the encroachment okay when my notes I wrote because okay we're, we haven't even talked about why we've been discussing this stuff so much is because you wrote this great book called gossip girl fanfic novella um it's out now everybody should fucking read it because it's it's killer it's like um it is it is a fanfic but then it's also a cultural critique of gossip girl um and uh and culture and just culture too um and i you know when i was finishing the book i was writing down different um notes to talk to charlie about and so one of course we've been like talking about this whole time which is you know fandom and the argument of who owns what and the encroachment on uh the state or like the ruling class to surveil um even like the shit that we make only a little bit of money on which is you know to me it's like these festivals like people like 
break even or make a little bit of money or or don't um but you know they're still trying to push these uh <laughs> uh you know these nft nft stuff on us which to me is like a, it it is a type of like surveillance but you know when because it it puts everything into the online extruder instead of removing the like kind of social relation of like i'm you know i'm giving you money for your zine this is the, you know this is a physical thing we can give each other physical cash we can like you know we don't have to be <laughs> um we can still like ethically make these trades together um uh, you know instead of like every single transaction being recorded <laughs> uh and and then of course the other stuff that we've been talking about you know the proliferation of stuff like garfield sonic calvin pissing um calvin pissing is key trans mask yeah. imagery <laughs> calvin pissing you know famously bill waterson is uh the creator of calvin and hobbes like you know it was very tight about not merchandising his shit and not letting other people merchandise his shit but then like people would just do it anyway and that's calvin pissing i mean it's <laughs> interesting um i feel like going back to um the example you were talking about earlier with the um festival and the yeah. nft artist i mean it's it was um, interesting because part of why people were so against her coming was not just that um, they were like sort of against the NFT as like a commodity form, but they were also like, oh, and you rip other people's work off and you don't give them credit. So they, it was really, right. um, they were like, I'm, I'm not in comics world at all. So it was really interesting to me to see all the lingo people, people being like, she does tracings she does and tracing just yeah. modify some of the positions <laughs> of of oh, the boy. characters but i can tell that those are tracings of like this other artist and it's and she was like her responses <laughs> would be like you just don't understand like my individual style yeah and it was interesting to see like um sort of I guess I guess stealing being not being seen as like a sort of like relational thing where it's also about like who is taking from who and what are they taking it's you know right like for instance um if I were to be like hmm let me go to all the mutual aid funds in Brooklyn and steal from them <laughs> Um, like the Grinch or something, stealing Christmas <laughs> presents. Like that would be really shitty, you know? But if right. I like went and I'm also dressed as a Grinch and I like, go to Jeff yeah. Bezos's house and I like <laughs> steal um, one of his like vests, like that would be really funny. And sell it and give it to the mutual aid. Group, exactly. Then know? then I would be like, oh, then it's expropriation. Exactly. It, it, because in the first case, you are... Um, stealing from someone who has less than you and in the second example <laughs> you're st stealing from someone who has more than you very unfairly so um right. you're redistributing property uh downwards versus right. uh individually profiting off off collective, collective work labor. yeah um which is i feel like kind of why nfts are sort of the path of evil while something right. like deviant art is closer to sonic the path of good because it's trying to sort of like 
collectivize um, these sort of corporate IPs right. um, and give them sort of exactly. the the users a means of um, like you know cultural production and versus actually what and, and it sucks because actually a lot of NFT companies are trying to kind of um, enclose and profit off of that by being like oh um, we will take um, like if you want to make your own NFT or you send us graphics and we'll make them in in NFTs and sort of like then the best one will has a chance of like being in our NFT OC in some way. Mm-hmm. So basically just like mm-hmm. incentivizing people to basically just instead of the IP being sort of like expanded outward, it then goes immediately back up to, um, you know, like Marvel or something. Yeah, and that's why they want to proliferate it through all of the channels of cultural production because they can enforce their IP because they, the way the internet is set up now, or in the way the culture is set up even outside of the internet, um, they can't. They can't. There's too many individuals who are able to like, the fan marketplace is like gigantic. I made a zine about this in 2015 uh i think i might when i was talking about fur affinity before i might have said further affinity which is like what our zine was called and it was about this very um uh position that you're talking about the 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 sort of like line between um you know tracing and draw my oc in your style um or whatever and and these are all like this is all like politics to me this is all politics these are all like social debates that we we need to come uh together as as whatever community to to discuss what our standards are and that's why a group of us created festival workers and what annoys me about the comics press is that they tend to focus on these like dead-end arguments about like tracing Jamie Hewlett, which who the f- at this point who the fuck cares about tracing Jamie Hewlett? Sorry for all the comics nerds out there, um, but uh, instead, when when instead we should be focusing on like who made the decision to bring in this person who has zero connection to our community and is in fact displacing our community. Yeah, and and, it, and is a racist and a transphobe. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's interesting also to see how. Um sad how the internet um both facilitates and destroys um subculture and it's interesting to see how um we how that um lack of being able to experience subculture because so many of them have been cannibalized Mm -hmm. um seeps into our language because it's when this person was sort of had been sort of been like, oh, maybe it's like weird. You say you like don't like trans people and you're like stealing um, other artists' work. Um, her response was to be like, basically to be like, I'm rich and you're not. Um, I mean, her language was actually like really funny. She said something like, the LA Times said that I was the Gen Z Garfield. So like <laughs> these people, like I don't even know them. Like they just offered to fly me out, but like um, we're not in the same league. So it was just to be like, I, f- I feel like the, the sort of 
public comment or whatever was mm-hmm. just, I mean I, I again I have zero investment in the scene at all I only learned about all this drama today from yeah. the um no I'm so excited for your analysis po- about it podcasts that okay sent me so I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm like getting all this wrong but it was um interesting because it felt like the f- people from the festival and like you and your friends who were involved were like trying to be like oh we're assuming we're like trying to on good faith trying to appeal to your sense that you're like involved in we're we're trying to appeal on good faith to the idea that you are involved in this DIY space because you have some kind of like oppositional political commitment right and that's what you value and she was like no 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 no. I value money like no so you you saying that like you can't she was just being like you can't affect me because I don't actually value that um (laughs) no no she literally like did this tweet that was like she was at because like the nft people made their own yes um yeah they made their own festival in in miami you know to me i see it as a like they wouldn't let us into basel so we made our own crypto festival and then we made our own bull they like made their own uh wall street bull but it's like a robot bull and then uh she was at that and there was like an nft mural for that and she was like this is great this is professional, not like I I hate community. She literally was like, I hate community murals. I hate like when amateurs, quote unquote, get to make murals. And it's like, it's so wild because her work is the most amateurish work and NFT work in general is the most like amateurish. Work. Well, it's interesting to think of, um, of, of like <laughs> NFT crypto people and sort of like um, trad like downtown sceney people as sort of different ends of the same um spectrum because they both um worship and are like whiteness and money and power right um but they do it in in different ways um and it's it's interesting though because they each each kind of like reflect different facets of of value in in culture or whatever like the crypto people and the nft people they have so much money but they don't have any taste whereas the trad people have taste but they don't have the the same money because they're involved they're they're desperate to get accepted by the money exactly they're desperate to get accepted by the money and the crypto people are desperate to get accepted by the people who they think are real you know real artists or whatever they're like oh my god please like come to like um come to like have a uh, espresso with me cause like I love you Jeff Koons you know um, but they're both interested in uh, one of my favorite um, uh, academics CNI has this sort of theory of the gimmick where she says like she's basically her she writes this really long uh, book basically being like why do gimmicks piss people off so much um, and her answer is that they sort of express the way that um, labor works in um, it, in I think she's in I think late capitalism, but I think this is like especially true of like um, mm-hmm. digital immaterial labor or whatever, which is that it both seems to be working too much and working too little. So you're right. working too much in that you're like constantly posting, but you're working too little in that you're like not getting paid enough it's also an Um, obfuscation of labor it's an it's an obfuscation of labor um so they're both i feel like the way that they're um 
they're both but both trad and the um and the crypto nft people are both kind of gimmicky and that their whole thing is making power look subcultural um yes yes you nailed it that that's true that is what links them like like and and they do hang out in the same rooms together and like um the trad people are like they 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 do so with this like level of irony where they're like ooh we're ironically at the crypto sponsored rave and we're just you know we're all just having fun it's not it doesn't mean anything no i mean but i mean <laughs> these things were literally oh i'm i'm i have a no um dime square discourse rule for myself but i'm gonna break it very briefly just to say <laughs> that i mean these things were literally united in real estate because it's true peter thiel um who is was putting money into that whole scene like there yeah. was that like um f weird film festival where someone died yeah that was like all basically like you don't have to tell me about vice too yeah okay invented it i invented it <laughs> no so i'm saying you and in you invented it so i'm like that is the, that is the intersection of it totally um, is of like trad culture and like nft culture absolutely like yeah and i all, all i'm trying to say is that the the trads all, allow it through irony they don't they they think that because they have this ironic detachment towards um, these systems or these technologies that it doesn't have an effect on what they're doing or what they influence. Um, but it totally does. Um, and, and it does matter to get to, to, to make, to, to make up and build up these, um, I keep saying standards. It's like um, we did this, uh, of course, um, Nick, who, who's art, art and labor discord, number one, the best, and um, was on the show recently talking about um, NGOs, uh, made this curriculum um, around Gavin Mueller's book, Breaking Things at Work, and um, it's about the Luddites, and what people get wrong about the Luddites over and over and over again, like, is that, oh, the Luddites were anti-technology, quote unquote. And it's not about being anti-technology. It's about being, um, it's about destroying tools that remove your autonomy as workers. And to me, that's what, that's why it, that's why it does matter to have these conversations around art production. Um, and that it's, it's, you know, th th to have an ironic detachment from your relationship to that production it's a it's a nihilist stance and it it is a anti-worker stance and it is like anti um it's it's it makes organizing harder and it it puts people in a mindset of just like accepting the lashes accepting the shit and we don't have to we we can to we we can't really do it as individuals but like collectively we can figure out alternative ways of doing things where we're not beholden to Peter Thiel. Um, <laughs> and rich people have a harder time um, uh, breaking that. And I feel like you get into that in your book a lot. Like you get it, like the, the characters are just like, this is just how it is. I, um, 
I just, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> any of them. They're they're just like this is just my life. I just I just write for Gossip Girl, Hunger Games, and um, this is you know I'm just gonna accept it. Uh, <laughs> or like, you know, this is just my life. I'm um, the son of Jeff Bezos, and I'm an asshole and a rapist, and I'm just gonna accept it. And uh, and like you know, we're just gonna keep checking Gossip Girl, and um, <laughs> keep like like and and just ex it's almost a way of like accepting how just accepting all the fucked up shit around you. Um, and and uh you know in the gossip girl universe the ultimate authority their parents <laughs> and gossip girl and gossip yeah gossip, yeah of course and the idol of gossip girl <laughs> <laughs> i mean literally like idol like <laughs> i don't know it does that make sense at all like it's it no, to it totally makes sense. The Upper East Side Gossip Girl kids are a lot like the Times Square people. Is all I'm trying to say. No, totally. I mean, I, um, I, I. Okay, so two things. The first is I fully agree with you. I feel like um, I understand why. In the reboot, they were like, "Oh, we." They were like, "Oh, it's kind of problematic that this cast is like original cast is like all white people essentially." Um, we want to. Have yeah. it be like cool, QT, like POC, like, and I'm like, oh, I, I totally understand that um, impulse. And the original show is extremely like racist. Like Blair, one of the main characters, literally has these characters who she calls like her minions, like in quotes. <laughs> and um, they are like some of the only like. So P that's like P canon. P yeah, POC on the show, like yeah. literally are like her servants. Um, and she calls them that. Like it's um so I understand being like, oh, we don't want to socially reproduce that. Like that is like violent. But then it's like, well, it's also it's also not true that like um in America that right. the ruling class is predominantly like is like di is diversifying. Yeah, it's it's like queer people of color. Like yeah. I'm like if you leave America, if you go to actually much wealth countries where p people have a much higher quality of life because the state is not waging like an imperial war against a, its people. Like if you go to like um, uh, South Korea, if you go to like Dubai, like there you will find mm -hmm. ruling classes that are. If you go to like. Lagos in Nigeria, you'll find like right. ruling classes that are, are uh, people of color. But in America, the ruling class is, you know, white supremacist death cult. It's mostly right. white people. And um, realistically, their kids like these are people who like they're like friends with Bloomberg and like they their kids like are like trust fund uh like nepo babies who are white and who are like hmm i'm gonna s start like uh uh a quote-unquote alt newspaper funded by like nyu money and <laughs> i love um uh joe rogan ironically like like right. realistically right. like or they would just be kind of like boring and they would just be like right. i love um corporate real estate or they would be right. like you know so it's like that's right who... I'm, a, I'm a real estate tiktoker yeah exa exactly yeah. exactly so it's I, I guess this is a, a way of saying that in terms of the reboot like i understand 
both the attempt to uh, try to like address the violence of the original but then I feel like it is ends up giving a slightly like untrue demographic portrayal of like the actual evil of the existent ruling class. So are they like this is the the reboot is it's the same characters and it's still on the Upper East Side? Um it's I feel like it's part of this it's part of this weird genre I feel like um that's becoming like I'd say like Riverdale is another example of this where it's like mysteriously both an era from the past and it's Mm. the present also Mm. so like in Riverdale it's like the 50s and also it's like the present like in the Gossip Girl reboot it is like well what's crazy is it's like the aughts but then it's the present but because this show came out during the indie sleaze moment it was like the aughts but then also the present which is the aughts redux so it was yeah. like oh my very god that's un- a lot very uncanny <laughs> i know it's like who is the so fanfic uncanny. and who is the oc seriously your book is just as interesting a um reboot or remake than that shit and your your um hunger games uh like version of the gossip girl reboot would be so much more interesting thank you it would be, if any potential funders are listening to this my dms are really open for that opportunity that would be so much better and like and, and yeah and that's what's sad like i guess you're you're being generous about like the kind of um the type of liberal who would make the new gossip girl and want to like fix the stuff but in reality to me it's like it's warfare it's like a way for like these networks to pretend like that's who actually has power and to try to convince people that's who actually has power because that i see that being replicated in in media everywhere so why wouldn't it be in our um you know prestige tv shows or whatever no that's that's really interesting um and you know it's also interesting um Anna Fabrega, who is one of, did this interview with um, Aisha Siddiqui, who's a um, really amazing writer and um, theorist who I reference in my book. Um, and this is for Los Spookies, too. Yeah. And, I read and, that. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, basically, one thing they talk about is um, how... Um, Los Spookies sort of got made in this sort of like brief window, which was kind of like mm. um, maybe like uh, middle of the Obama, second Obama presidency to like uh, midway through the Trump presidency, like before COVID when there was, it was both politically viable and there was a money for these sort of like, more like esoteric shows starring people who aren't white like oh my god so like (laughs) that's how a show like Los Spookies was able to exist pierce the veil exactly that's how um Gossip Girl was able to and like I think like they were like the very tail end of that um like they're able to like oh my god we can actually hire actors that aren't just white people like how crazy and um but that era has ended because I think Anna was explaining to me that it's like um it's not even that that streaming platforms like Netflix are losing money but it's just because they're no longer making exponential growth right um that they 
um, are doing doing these in, insane like um, mergers and um, cost cutting things, and that's you know why part of why um, a show like Los Spookies was canceled. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it also makes a lot of like a lot of sense that like HBO Max, um, you know, they pulled the rug out um, of all of these uh, anim- animated productions um, that were like well on their way to being produced and then they pulled the rug out and then they actually took completed stuff that, that had been on the platform for years in some cases completely off of streaming. So like people couldn't even go back and watch the old episodes anymore because it was the network made more money reporting it as a loss than keeping it on the platform uh, that it, it it's really stupid and it's like it it killed like you know uh, a bunch of animated projects and then it also it removes those like to remove those some of those animated projects from like all streaming um also like it it gets more eyeballs on the productions that they want they want people to to look at and the shit that they want people to look at is fascist, garbage, brainwashing material. They don't want people to like go and look at like um, something interesting and something critical of the state or, or critical of corporations or critical of like whatever. Like all of that needs to be erased from the public consciousness and the stuff that makes it into like, you know, Fortnite skins is stuff that like will reinforce um, the de- the the desire in children that they're you know they're indoctrinating an entire generation of children um, into liking, and they want to repress. You know, we were talking about this earlier, the repression of uh, queer media is real, and you know, uh, ruling class will take will will pluck a couple of things uh um from obscurity to to have as like little crown jewels of like look we did representation um (laughs) and they can always like point to that and be like look we did that look at queer eye look at queer eye just look at this diverse group of queer people we did that and they're 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 like our shining stars of our network and at the same and like meanwhile if you're actually like um participating in a queer community you know that these fuckers are like actually making shit worse like and it, it you know they're making it seem like people's like systemic problem like problems with the the world and how things are going is just like a you just need to like get a makeover sweetie we went over the same thing with the original queer eye now they're doing it again with a more diverse queer eye. Like it's different, but it's all the same shit. <laughs> the thing about looking at queer eye is that it looks back. It does look back. <laughs> um, but you know, that's how I see it. I see um, queer media um, either being recuperated um, to promote assimilationist either to promote like assimilationist positions for queer people or as like a, like you can't get mad at us. We greenlit this one thing one time, two years ago. (laughs) Um, 
or I see repression happening, which is like, uh, it's kind of like censorship, but it's it's legal, you know. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's real. Like there are, um, there is there was like the like drag queens reading to children event that was like right. had like people with people show up and be like no 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 and <laughs> like they're actively tr like in some states like trying to like make it um like you know seem like groomer behavior if there are like books in the school library that um mention gender uh, which i'm like i guess that is not all books but they aren't about <laughs> i guess like ungendered aliens or about like a book about like dirt or something but i don't know anyway so i, I mean it's yeah. like that is actively like a thing that but is... of course like capitalism has learned that if they don't address this market then they're letting the wolves have it no totally i see what you're i see i see what you're saying you're saying like they have to um appease the trans market enough so that they don't actually do anything or ask for anything yeah um but <laughs> we can't actually give them anything good no no uh, we we give you know the banks will sponsor the parade um so that we don't think about the parade being a organizing tool to enact demands on the banks that you know like <laughs> uh they're like giveaways um or something like that uh and you know but at the same time, queer media, like, like I, I also think a lot about queer media in like China, um, where stuff like Word of Honor and Untamed, um, were they, they're these big, um, it's called wuxia costume dramas. They put like a bunch of money into them, and some of the most popular ones from the past couple of years have been based on like explicit erotic gay porno um novels but like the and so everybody like other like the hardcore group of fans watching the tv show know it's based on these like porno novels and like they can read between the lines and know what's going on um but if you were to watch it without reading the novels it's just like oh they just have like a really sweet bromance the two characters just are like really good friends and pals um and it's this weird like line that uh the media like treads to like try to get in on the market but then not let them gain too much influence social influence and then maybe power <laughs> keep going on so many tangents and not focusing on the book i love it um like how long have you been working on this book um that's a really good <laughs> question probably too long um I think I started working on it in um, 2018 or 2019, um, around that time. I think it was like when, I mean, I was literally doing, I mean, it's like, whatever, like, yes, this is like a fanfic because I was like trying to be conceptual or something. But I think it's mm. also true that I was literally doing a kind of having a kind of like fanfic relationship to Gossip Girl, which I was watching a lot of at that time um, because I was like, uh, there's a lot of stuff I'm thinking about, about my life, dot, dot, dot. 
gender dot 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 that <laughs> I could address, or I could just get really into Gossip Girl and sublimate it all um, in my writing, <laughs> which is what I did instead, picking the path of evil. Um, so I remember giving you the manga. It's like a birthday present or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay, it was like, <laughs> did you ever consider that this horny thing you like could be hornier? <laughs> could, it could be even hornier and more fucked up. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> that's what. That's definitely my role for a lot of um, my friends. Is um, if you ever considered making your art more deranged and more, um, you know, fucked for, uh, uh, you know, just more like commercially unacceptable or career unacceptable. <laughs> We all need that one Sabotaging. friend. We all need that one friend who kind of acts as a sort of like leprechaun presence in our lives. We like didn't know how he he got in our pocket, but he's like always promising us things. I'm like a little pack rat, and I find trash and I give it to my friends, and I'm like, consider this trash. I mean, you are a collector of fan art. I mean, I'm in like literally. I feel like a temple to fan art right now. There's like. Yeah. I'm looking at like a yeah. lunchbox that has like Cher's face on it. I'm uh -huh. looking at like a drag queen Barbie. Uh -huh. I'm looking at um, posters from like events. Um, <laughs> oh, you're right. I mean, the, the this flyer anus is one of my favorite recent flyers. It's by this amazing um, artist I've known since like, yeah, since college. Um, Arthur, um, a legend in the... Uh, Providence and now New York punk scenes um, who also grew up you know um, making Dragon Ball Z fan art oh yeah I'm, I'm literally looking at um, <laughs> two Goku Dragon Balls two Gokus from Dragon Ball Z like having sex this is like could not be a better oh okay so yeah. I promised that yeah. I would talk about my book so um, feel free to ask me specific questions about it and I will answer. Um, yes. Okay. So we got, you, you've been working on this for a couple of years. Um, and you were watching gossip girl during that time and you were connecting it to your own upbringing. Do you want to talk about that at all? Like, yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm happy to. So, um, Gossip Girl, for people who aren't familiar with the OC, is um, <clears throat> this show about these um, characters who live on um, the Upper East Side and are constantly causing drama. And I, too, grew up on the Upper East Side and was constantly causing drama. Um, <laughs> and so I think I wanted... Um, I think... I think uh, so there's this um, amazing book by one of my favorite writers, Aurelia Guo, called probably one of my favorite books of um, 2022 called World of Interiors. Uh, I feel like I sound like a like writer on NPR being like, in one of my favorite books from 2022. Um, but it really was by... You're like pretty close to... You really think I could make it? I think you could make it. Wow. <laughs> you can get recuperated. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, for any, um, <laughs> any, um, for Ira Glass, as I know that you're listening to this podcast, yeah. I just want to let you know my DMs are open for you. You have the <laughs> iHeartRadio rep that's trying to like poach this podcast and get it on the surveillance network. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, she um, talks a lot about she, she's born in um, the end of the 80s and sort of is very interested in like um, the 80s and how the 80s sort of like produced her. Um, and I think um, the I was sort of like interested in being like, OK, I want um, my work to be like I want to look at sort of like the environment that produced me, but I don't really want to write about like myself explicitly um, because I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I'm a kind of like reserved person or something. Um, you shouldn't have to put yourself yeah, out there. Yeah, I don't know. And also I feel like um, maybe this is my own like internalized shit of being like, oh, I'm scared of getting... Um, typecast as like I feel because I feel like the most of what the market wants is like sort of like mm. confessional trans memoirs I was like oh I really don't want to write that so um, this is good so yeah I, I was like oh okay I want to sort of look at um, the social conditions which produce me and talk about that indirectly via sort of like the world of um, Gossip Girl without opening you up too much to the knives and and cruelty of like the dissection that comes with like being super, super visible. Like, um, I think that's totally fair. And I, I think, um, you know, fiction writing is like in general is just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. That's a, a wonderful way to go about it. My parents said, Charlie, you can write this book, but if you get kidnapped and held for ransom again, <laughs> we will pay, but um, we are not going to finance your second mortgage, all right? <laughs> you know, um... You're certainly not the level of these uh, Jeff Bezos children, um, but I understand the, like, um, that proximity to it. I, um, I you know, I, I'm, I feel similar. Some, somebody who... I did live on the Upper West Side um, for a couple years after... Um, or during college, um, I didn't grow up in the city, um, but there was this, uh, you know, there was a certain upward mobility that my parents, when they got divorced and then remarried uh, much wealthier, started to inhabit. And I, I too, like, want to interrogate some of that um, positioning without um, putting anybody on blast including myself <laughs> uh yeah i mean um in the book i referenced one of my um favorite mm -hmm. academics um jules gill peterson who's written this really amazing book um histories of the Ch transgender child which like mm -hmm. extremely influential um uh, gossip girl is like a ya show um and you know they're meant to be in high school so i i really like um, couldn't have written this book without um, Jules's book. And um, one of the, th the sort of myths that she tackles is sort of this um, idea that um, trans kids were sort of like, oh, so, okay, so in, in my book, um, one of the characters is trans and one of them is an egg, but I'm not going to tell you who's who. You have <laughs> to buy it for $18 at kenningeditions.com. Um, okay, I did this one con. Um, but... Um, yeah, so they, um, 
Jules basically talk is is sort of confronting this myth that like transness was um invented by rich um white people um post tipping point to like get attention um and what she says is and 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 of course what she is what she says is like you know this is building on um you know historical patterns like um during the sort of like end of the Weimar era um beginning of the Nazi era um there was suddenly like oh these trans people were before they had gotten sort of like nominal um acceptance or in, in some parts of society now they were sort of just like um both like it's interesting they're they were seen as being in the same way that trans people are seen today both being like uh, oh you're poor you're a leech on society by demanding too much health care but also mm-hmm. you're the sort of figure of um of decadence you have so much extra money that you're just um sort of um uh wasting money from sort of like the public coffers on your expensive surgeries and it's it's like obviously there doesn't have to be ideological consistency because what trans people you know so many of these people who are transphobic have never even met a trans person but trans person just functions as sort of like um a blank slate for these people to kind of like project um you know different sort of like libidinal (laughs) emissions onto um but anyway reinforce the repression that maybe they face exactly and so basically what jules says is like obviously trans people have always existed but the means that people get to transition is unevenly distributed um so the fact that like um the most um that that like uh (laughs) the trans people with the most money are white, you know, like it isn't, isn't because only rich people or white people are sort of like biologically predestined to be trans. It's because, you know, transness is like evenly distributed across mm-hmm. um, populations, but often only people who are like rich and white are allowed to, because their bodies aren't, uh, you know, the prime sites of um, surveillance and racialized violence and, you know, other forms of like extraction and policing. So um, I was kind of being like, okay, um, you know, like trans, in that sense, trans has has always been kind of gossip girl, um, just in terms of like, who is most allowed to, who's, you know, given the most access to the means of trans production. And so I think I kind of wanted to take that as kind of like a concept as well. Yeah, no, it, it, it's like a, I think it's like a welcome, like injection into that world. And, and, and like, as you were saying, like, like, oh man, I don't know. I just wish that they made your book, the gossip girl reboot for real. Like, like, that's like to me <laughs> jeremy o'harris i know that you're listening to this please hire me for season three Why? i'm so serious i would love to work with you it would be so so interesting to like really like work work through um some of some of these uh concepts on like on this big level like like one of the um, HBO shows that like we were like analyzing on art and labor is the Nathan Fielder one, the um, the rehearsal, 
and um you know people are like losing their goddamn minds because they've gotten like a a hint of like a conceptual work of art um and it's to me it's like yes it's i like it like i'm glad he he makes it or whatever but it's like it's really annoying that like i know all these folks like you and like you know uh spike einbinder river ramirez like all these like folks who are like are like really interesting people um making really interesting weird conceptual art and characters um and writing like um who will never like get like that or will maybe maybe one day get like an opportunity like that and could maybe potentially really blow some people's minds in a way that um could could potentially be more generative towards like um you know actually um at, like i don't know actually like making a a, a kind of like cohesive um like art community or something that like wants to further certain political goals or like whatever um it's like instead we we have to like all culturally coalesce around like the one conceptual art show that is allowed to exist and um obsess over it like it's the only thing in the world yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> River Ramirez. Um, I would, I would love for them to have infinite money to do um, whatever they so wanted. Sick. And they did the cover <laughs> of my book, um, which I, I mean, I personally love. Um, but yeah, it's depressing because um, the I, I'm pretty sure the views for Nathan for You and Los Spookies were the same. So that, which is crazy because it's not even like, oh, one is, um, not getting, um, the numbers that you want. Like they were getting the same. So it's just like, um, I don't know. It's, it's just, they make up new numbers. They just make up new numbers. They're like, well, this, this show make does numbers about views, but also about talking about it or something like they'll just make up new numbers. Like it's it's extremely frustrating. I was, I was thinking about like working for a when I've been working for a trans organization and I'm trying to quit, but, um, you know, they were promoting this, um, trans survey. Right. And, um, it, you know, the survey determines policy, like it literally determines policy. Um, and, uh, it's so flawed to do shit that way. It's so fucking flawed and so fucking stupid. I didn't even, I didn't even fill out the survey and I knew about the survey for months, but it's like, who, who's actually, uh, benefiting from any of this is, is exceedingly frustrating. And, um, you know, I feel like, sorry to get off topic. We're just like, no, it's not, the place. it's not off topic at all, but like, you know, um, that's why I think it is necessary to do, to like, to do the type of art that we do still have access to <laughs> and do still have access to, to distribute ourselves like books, like we can publish each other's stuff and we can really try 
to examine these structures in in um in really critical ways and like i don't know i'm 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 proud of you i mean for doing it oh well i mean it has been <laughs> i mean no thank you i appreciate that i mean in some ways it has been i feel like i mean it's been like extremely um rewarding to have people be like i like your book um and i guess like depressing to see kind of like yeah sort of like how um fucked the like book and like publishing world is and how it's i guess like not really like um so like for example um the book is like doing like well online in terms of like um you know none of like the like major press about it has like even come out yet and it's already like um sold out on like spd like they had to get more orders it's in yeah. it's in their like um top 10 list for the month it's like my like lol my dad called me and was like um <laughs> i've been surveilling you and like i googled your book and it is number 78 in like transgender fiction on amazon and i was like <laughs> Thank you. Um, so it's like it's doing well in terms of like people. But but then it's like, OK, my publisher, I had a really great experience with them. They really like gave me like let me kind of like do whatever creatively. And I feel like that was invaluable. Um, but, you know, they're not a New York based publisher. Um, and it's like literally one amazing guy, Patrick Durgan, um, doing it all. And because they don't have, and also it's not like kind of, um, it's it's not kind of like a sort of like A24 kind of like, oh, it's indie, but it has some kind of like money and like institutional mm -hmm. credibility in the same way, like someone like um, an Otesha Moshe or like a Sally Rooney or someone like that. So it's like um, indie, but also sort of like accept, accepted by you know, this is like a really small, small press. So it's kind of yeah. like bookstores, even, even though there have been people like requesting it at their bookstores, like bookstores won't um, want to pick it up because it's not from a major publishing house or so they think there won't be demand. But This is why you are related to all the comics scene stuff and why... I am so excited that you're tackling some of that stuff because these distribution networks like are like are things that can be potentially politically useful. Um, and it is important for us to like carve out <clears throat> our position in those networks and, um, you know, figure, figure that out. And then it, it cre I feel like it creates community because it, it creates a lot of like commonality. Whereas like, you know, you're, um, you're approaching this stuff through the lens of Gossip Girl, whereas like all the people um, I grew up with um, who were writing fan fiction and drawing fan art were coming at it from like anime world. And you, you're like, you know, um, you, you know, one, one kid ends up at going to like SVA to do cartooning or, or, um, <laughs> or like me, like a SUNY purchase to do printmaking. Um, 
and and then another kid could end up you know going um to study you know something like something more writing based or like anthropology or something at a maybe a private university um but you still end up kind of in the same pot afterwards kind of like na navigating the same things um and how do we work together um even though our like art uh might look really different or something if that makes sense no totally <laughs> um it, and uh totally that makes sense to me <laughs> no i mean it's a huge bummer because i feel like um yeah i mean it seems like all the people you just described are people who um both were hit with the the double whammy of like um i can no longer get a job in culture that pays a living wage and also um the cost of living is like unaffordable for um someone who's trying to be an artist um and it's getting gutted for writing jobs too yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah totally um it's just like one happened sooner or something yeah um so it's like obviously there are lots of like common conditions there it's like the gentrification of like um, the like physical city and also of like the culture industry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have to figure out ways to link this stuff because otherwise people might not see the benefits of like solidarity and might not see the benefits of, um, uh, you know, working towards change. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's depressing because it's like I'm thinking about this. um you know, like with with uh, Losa Spookies, like yeah. having the view counts and getting canceled anyway, or like with my book being like, oh, I'm like selling out, but like McNally Jackson doesn't want to carry it because they think this is too quote unquote risky and being like, oh, but there <laughs> is demonstrated demand already. So or like, why won't like fu McNally fucking sucks. It's so fucking political. Like, I'm sorry, you cheapskates can't afford what what would it cost them to to get like 10 of your books it would be like 120 dollars or something but the, the thing is it's like oh what's it, the risk it's like i mean it's like the, if they i mean it's, it's interesting because i was listening to this um death panel episode they did recently about um intellectual property law in the in the but in the arena of like vaccine um mm. IP and um, the you know they were talking about how these companies like Pfizer sort of brand themselves as being like oh we're we're you know entrepreneurial risk takers but actually they're very risk averse so much so that they you know are like oh we can't break patent laws and um, distribute vaccines in um, the global south because that would be too risky um, and it's and it's the same um, it's the same kind of logic of like even if there is like demonstrated demand for your work because this is about you know unconscious bias like you can be good enough but because of someone's like libidinal um, unconscious feelings toward you there is a kind of like you know whatever um, yeah aversion to fucking uh, trans fiction yeah maybe a little bit hmm. 
Interesting. Hmm. Oh, uh, you're scared of the big bad uh, HBO Gossip Girl IP? Oh, aw, you little baby. You poor child. McNally Jackson, I know you're listening to this <laughs> right now, and my DMs are open to you. <laughs> they should be. Topos is coming for you, bitch. We're going to take over. Um, no, but I mean, it's it's the, like it's like there's a reason that um, Topos was one of the first bookstores to like pick up my book. IDK. We're going. We're going to. We're going. We are going to put ourselves out there for each other, and we're going to rebuild these networks that we can trust, and so we can do stuff like, um, drag night, um, whatever, whatever at the library, and distribute, um, information about that without it hitting, um, the right wing surveillance network. AKA the internet. Um, uh, and we can circumvent the eyes that we don't want to see us and reach um, our communities uh, and our neighbors that do want to see us. Um, that's what I, I believe in with small press. No, I mean, I remember when um, Beatrice Adler Bolton like just started the death panel discord and this is back when she and Artie still lived in New York and we would just like they just started doing the show and um I feel like um like one of the most like uh autistic computer boy things I would do is be like ah like I'm so hungry from so much computer like I didn't <laughs> think to eat like what would be the solution to this and Beatrice is who's such a like uh eternal like big sister energy would be like you know just come on over I'll just make you a peanut butter sandwich um <laughs> uh which I was like oh, ideal uh, so I it was like one of the times um that was happening and then we were she was like I feel like I want to start this discord and I was like no, I feel like no one will ever use social media other than Twitter. Um, Twitter <laughs> will be eternal. And who was on Discord back then, Charlie? No one. It was, and I was like, "Well, why?" Are you? And <laughs> and I was kind of like, "What's the point?" Because you know, that's what I like to be. I like to be no one. Yeah. Well, I was like, "What's the point?" Because you know, like the um, Chapo Discord or whatever, or like the uh, Comtown Reddit has like. <laughs> 40,000 members and she was like no that's true but um she was like it's really stupid you know but you know the thing about the little fish eating the big fish and I was like yeah and she was like well sometimes stupid things are true so I feel like you know and and she was right I mean both about um you know a, a social network like Twitter not being as eternal as we um all thought it would be and also about the fact that like if you do build um like alternatives that don't make people feel bad like there will be demand for it because the social reproduction of people's lives is being decimated by you know like austerity and punishment um no and you be the proof for for someone else i mean that's what art and labor was we started art and labor we invited Artie and b on uh, before they had death battle and uh you know we're like we're literally like psychopathic artists that are like um actively uh working against 
our best interest because we care about building um you know consciousness like toward and and education um in communist theory and um you know uh international solidarity um and so we'll never we'll never like you know uh we'll never be like accepted in by um uh by most networks and things but we'll make our own network we'll make our own network we'll do our own thing and um when you do that other people uh get they they get strength from you and then they do it too and then they build out build out their shit and it's amazing you know uh like and we can take on if 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 the 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 most powerful figures within the left media sphere are failing us we can circumvent them and have um better more expansive and generative politics they're a dead end we'll make um new pathways that's what we'll do you guys can't see right now but okay is literally a phoenix rising from the ashes <laughs> um we're on the sofa and they're kind of like ashing on on the sofa but it's from their phoenix feathers um that's right it's not because we've been smoking so much fucking weed this whole episode <laughs> no it's just from being a phoenix um no but i mean it's like i think um you know like these opportunities um you know are on the one hand like theoretical but it's also like um they're just like also material like you know i feel like you can't forget about us is the thing well that's the thing i didn't have to say when when you pierce the veil when you gain these new heights you have to go and then water all the 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 little places that are um there um to uh you know like tobos is a physical place that we can all be in and that we can all have our stuff in and and we have to to be good stewards and caretakers of these spaces and respect we have to be the irl discord mods (laughs) and the discord too we have to respect and take you know take stock of and be good stewards that's what you're doing well um <laughs> we ha- I love the idea of um, thinking of gardening as like IRL Discord modding. It's a hor- <laughs> horrible thought. Um, it is. That's our social. That for so many, especially within the de- mean, the deaf panel one, like it's a lot of folks who have different disabilities. That maybe that is like where they are flourishing. Maybe that is where they are making friends. I mean, it is. It. I mean, it is. I mean, it is like sort of like watering the garden of of social reproduction um but um yeah i mean um and, and i know i mean and i think that that's that's like obviously really cool be- i'm being like super sincere because that's what i love to do no i mean i mean me <laughs> me too yeah, you know. um <laughs> okay actually yeah no i mean it's true and i mean i think they're also like you know um power vacuums can like open up in in real time like i feel like um when you know after the news broke about um elon um buying twitter and and everything was kind of like 
chaotic i feel like people started like posting like crazy because they were like why not or they started like going to other platforms or just being like oh i've seen um the means of production too clearly and also i see that kind of like the ship of digital media is sinking and i feel like um it's so it's like okay like what does that opportunity mean i feel like it can mean like oh um the sort of like legacy publications um and also being like your own um <laughs> like aspiring to be that legacy publication in like your own special way are both kind of like dead ends like you actually need um mm. forms of like like infrastructure like infrastructure for cultural production that's like non-hierarchical and like financially sustainable and like by and for the same people and that's like actually like nourishing um for people like I feel like um one thing that um we at the beginning of the episode I spoke about um Aisha Siriki's work and she um has this line that's like ingest only what nourishes you she's like an advice columnist so it's like obviously like an amazing life lesson in like a sentence but it's like oh like we don't have to be like like it's like it's kind of like oh what if like using the internet like felt good versus like yeah. scrolling or posting which feel bad you know yeah yeah what if we make it good um and do the work to keep it good and and then when we have that foundation who knows what we can fucking accomplish if we can get our shit together and um you know stop self-sabotaging or sabotaging each other for no reason hurting each other um then that's how we build real community if we stop being pretending we're above it or whatever um which is like to me my olive branch to the higher echelons of the lefty media world is if if we're all doing this stuff and doing it in a similar way, um, we should all be working together. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we need, we'll, we'll, we'll need to figure that out as things, uh, scale or else you, you know, if you look at Chapo, like a test case, you burn out. I literally wrote about this fucking, uh, I don't write very often. And this is why, because I'm just like insufferable about like one thing. And I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm just going to keep saying this one over and over again. But Vice 2, when I wrote about Vice 2, I wrote about Chapo, Trap House. And I was like, they're just going to become America the Book, uh, Jon Stewart, Daily Show 2. Like, that's where you head um, without, a, you know, um, a, 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 a grounding in a movement. Uh, <laughs> that has discipline and vision that you cannot expect three fucking people to just like carry forever. <laughs> no, I mean, this is part of why I, in my book, I was really fascinated by um, the sort of like dystopian fight to the death genre, like um, Hunger Games or Squid Games um, is because like, when the sort of like political economy has moments of like 
weakness people either um a uh are like, oh, we need to, we're all more vulnerable. We need to sort of band. I mean, it's sort of like literally what happened um, mm. in the like moment in 2020 when it was like um, lockdowns and um, George Floyd riots, which was like, um, and you know, the from months of like mutual aid of people both on on the one hand being like, oh, we actually like, need each other like we are affected by like the air we share and also being like oh the infra social infrastructure is is weakening we need to clamp down more than ever so what we saw was an intensification of mm -hmm. the the carceral society that we live in so you know it, it makes sense that um something like trad is like an aestheticized form of like copaganda yeah like when i see trad i think of like it's a cliche but i think of like um the cia funding the paris review um right. because what it is is being like oh i mean there's a okay small spoiler for my book if you don't want a spoiler <laughs> i kind of want you to read one of the um uh hunger games parts okay um i'm going to actually read a section from <laughs> my book i'm really excited for this um like and this is near the end of the book but it's also you know the book has so many layers to it you're you're gonna be fine like there's this is just like a small part of it um okay so this is um this is a a paragraph that's um not the thing that okay i just asked me to read okay. um, which i've already forgotten but i will read it after this <laughs> um and is basically a more um lyrical and and poetic way of saying what i was trying to say which is that <laughs> in moments of weakness people either get more um collective minded or they get more um it's sort of like fight to the death mode slash more like aligned with where they think the source of power is, but then they mm. need to find a way of justifying that to themselves. And so that's why they do something like trad because they're like, oh, this is um, ultimately like subcultural um, or they are like gossip girl characters where they're like, oh, this is, um, they don't even, they're like, oh, that is, money is just the cool thing. Um, okay, so the paragraph <laughs> is, um, the fascists aren't wrong. The problem is that they are half right. The world is in fact ending, or this world is. The spaceship to Mars will blast off soon, and tickets are expensive. The earth is burning up, and condos on Elon Musk and Grimes's Luna Villas are very pricey, despite their tacky eugenics core aesthetic, in which each building looks like a sword. The fascists know the world is ending, but instead of doing something about it, they want to be where power is. They side with Jeff Bezos. When you try to get on the spaceship with your children, they execute you, stomping your child's skull and crushing it with the heels of their Gucci loafers, the horse bit buckles jingling. Um, okay, and what was the other thing you wanted me to read? No, that like is related to what I wanted you to read because um, your the, the bits about... Um, uh, the if if uh, if the Gossip Girl re reboot was the Hunger Games, um, you you keep saying this bit about um, 
you know, Katniss Everdeen could either be fascist or communist. Um, uh, you know, I don't quite remember the passage, but that's what I think about when I think about like um, lefty artists on a pedestal in general. Um, right. I think about Mark Fisher too. I think about like, you know, the, these uh, Mark Fisher, Nick land. How do you, you get one or the other or some, whatever? No, totally. I mean, um, the, um, I also work as, um, self plug. I also work as managing editor at, um, the new inquiry and for the ed note of, um, our last issue which was assets um me and the editor-in-chief we were trying to think of um and basically in our ed note one thing that we wanted to talk about was sort of like um not to be like just sort of like the veneer is coming off the myth of the sort of like liberal center way and so people are kind of like having to pick sides or something hmm. um and not to be like as sort of NPR-esque, like, the problem is polarization in America because it's, like, obviously um, not... Well, you could be Marxist about it. You can say one group wants to, to do tailism for for uh, the Republicans, one group wants to do tailism for the Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, did you want me to read the Hunger Games, the lore section? Yeah, um, if you... if it, Unless you... Unless you're... Whatever you, I don't want to like make you do it. But. No, I actually um, I would love to read this section. Okay. Um, the Hunger Games, the lore, page one fifty five. <clears throat> Katniss Everdeen could be a fascist, but also she could be a communist. Katniss Everdeen is whatever you need. That's why she's everyone's girl. The first time Gavin McInnes watched The Hunger Games. Mocking Jay, part one, 2014. He masturbated and cried, <laughs> rewinding and watching the parts where Katniss shoots down an Imperial spaceship with an explosive arrow. Why aren't girls like that anymore? When he founded the Proud Boys in 2016, Gavin McInnes felt that Katniss would have joined them, at least according to the lore. The capital is faggots anyway. <laughs> faggots and degenerate transsexual whores. It's giving the Weimar Republic. It's giving big end of empire vibes. Charlie XCX could be a fascist, but also she could be a communist. Charlie XCX is whatever you need. That's why she's everyone's racially ambiguous white passing girl. For the last 6,000 years, conspiracy theorists have claimed that Charlie XCX and Dua Lipa are in fact the same girl, produced by an algorithm which beamed their genetic material into two petri dishes, flowering simultaneously under the same fluorescent light. In fact, Charlie XCX and Dua Lipa are not the same girl, according to the lore, Wikipedia. Charlie XCX and Dua Lipa are different girls. Okay, they're both British. O okay, they both have brown hair. Okay, they're both hyper pop adjacent, but also like mainstream. 
in archiving the 20 teens, professional trend forecaster Aisha Siddiqui argues that, quote, emaciated Eastern Bloc models provide the fantasy not just of a white working class, but also one whose alterity is vaguely ethnic, who look like the future we were told we escaped by trusting America's vision for the world. Dua Lipa is Armenian. Charlie is not. The way I avoided the cringe of I.D. Paul was via the fantasy that I didn't have an identity at all. And in a way, I don't, and it's fine. You're fine. I mean, you're doing what everyone does. I don't want to talk about it with you. You won't understand. Everything you know about me isn't fake per se, but it's self-consciously stylized. I want you to know that I hide my real self from you. Charlie XCX is just a fun and wacky girl. The interiority that she hides from us could be fascist or communist. It's good marketing, taps into multiple audience vectors. They can still hate each other and stand Charlie XCX. This is not a poptimistic paragraph. For the quote, good ones music video, Charlie asked the production team to generate a fake grave, big gray tombstone that reads in quotes, Charlie XCX. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so glad you read that. I. I know it's like towards the end of the book. That's why I'm like, oh, maybe you shouldn't. But like, I think it ties in a lot of like what we're talking about, you know, with these. We're, we're synthesizing so much, right? We're synthesizing like the book itself, how it's distributed <laughs> and then the contents of the book. And then the source material of the book is fan fiction of and then, you know, like... <laughs> We the thing about men is they love to synthesize. They just get on a sofa and they immediately have to start synthesizing things. So I'm glad we could be here together. Yeah, this is like, um, maybe the only art and labor that is just men. I think that's true. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll detransition. And we went like straight to dorm room um, cosmic talk, and that's that's why dudes rock. Exactly. Um, <laughs> all right, I I'm gonna go hang out with my friend Bob Dylan. Um, Hell yeah! And my thank you so much for doing show. My other know. friend, the Grateful Dead. Yeah. <laughs> which is one person. And Sublime and Three Eleven are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, they, we've been hanging out a lot. I never really considered myself like a music <laughs> person, but then I realized that because I thought they were band names, but then I realized that actually those are the names of real people. And then once you meet them, oh, you yeah. know, like they're, they seem like celebrities, but you know, they're just stars are just like us, you know. 311's just like us, for real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We actually, I mean, you guys have a lot of, um, common interests that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> 311 okay some things i know you love clarinet mm. pop brownies mm. computer tie-dye tie-dye exactly. uh skulls like cool skulls cool pictures of the sun um mushrooms photo people love fucking mushrooms dude 
Do you see how we ended by making a fanfic? <laughs> and that's what you call brand consistency. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Charlie. Let's, Let's have, have fun, fun, everybody. Lots of fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Lots of fun.